In the early morning hours of December 9th, 2001, Michael Peterson called 911 to report that he found his wife, Kathleen, severely injured at the bottom of a staircase in their home. When paramedics arrived, the scene was covered in blood. Authorities immediately suspected foul play, and their suspicion fell on Michael. As more details emerged, this turned into a rabbit hole of confusing facts that resulted in one of the most polarizing murder cases in American history. Welcome to Fact and Suspicion. I'm your host, Dan, here with my co-host, Ben. Hello. And... Today, we're going to be talking about the mysterious death of Kathleen Peterson. Now, before we start, we should probably say we find ourselves in this position quite a bit lately. But we apologize. It's been so long since we put out an, since we put out an episode. Uh, if you are subscribed to the YouTube channel, you probably know that Daniel has been sick. But So it, it's taken a while for us to get back up and running. But we're good to go now, and we, sh- we expect to have episodes regularly from now on, though. Let's be honest, we've said that before. We, we've said that before. Though if we tried this a week ago, you you wouldn't have wanted to hear my voice. It was rough. That's true. So, yeah. um, right. I just I just thought we should explain that real quick before we get started. Yeah. Yeah, let's uh let's get started though. Let's uh so this is the the death of Kathleen Peterson. And as I'm sure a lot of you know, um the the very popular documentary The Staircase uh is about this particular case. Um Though I would like to mention that something that documentary won't tell you is that Michael Peterson uh, dated one of the producers of the documentary. What seriously? I yeah, have no for idea. for fifteen years. Okay, actually. had they met prior to the filming of the no, documentary? No, no, they they met while while they were working on the the documentary. Her name I, was Sophie Brunette. Like, I want to say that helped some that they didn't have a prior relationship, but. Like it still had to have affected the final outcome of the product, you, right? You would think so. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it's important, to, you know, if you watch that documentary to to remember that, because I, I do feel like the documentary definitely falls on Michael Peterson's side of, of the events. Yeah. Like, I, I, it's been a while since I've seen it, mind you, but I, mm. I do remember thinking that it wasn't as like flagrantly activistic as uh, some other documentaries. Like, it didn't no. seem to be necessarily, uh, making the case that he was innocent. But, right. but I can definitely see where you would get that implication from the things it chooses to show you, like hanging out with the defense as much as right. they do. Yeah, it's, it it's definitely seems to come down on the side of the defense, but I don't think it's anywhere near as imbalanced as like making a murderer or Paradise Lost or something right, like, right. along those lines. Um, but at any rate, let's go ahead and talk about, um, about the case. Okay. So Kathleen Peterson was an executive at Nortel. That's a telecom company. And uh, according to all the information I can find, she made about 150000 a year. Not shabby. Um, she was the breadwinner of the family. Now, Michael was a novelist, uh, and he had written some novels about his experiences in Vietnam. They were fictitious novels, but they were based on his own experiences. He was a Marine, and uh, he had some success in selling the novels, but he wasn't really bringing in money right, uh, lately okay. the way that Kathleen was. Um. Now, as I said, he was a Marine. Um, uh, Peterson was awarded a Silver Star and a Bronze Star for his service. Now, uh, something to note about that, though, is that um, he did have a mayoral campaign. He ran for mayor of uh, Durham. Mm-hmm. Dur- this happened in Durham, North Carolina, by the way. Sorry. Okay. Um, that's where Duke is. But he, he ran for mayor of Durham. 
And during that time, he also claimed, besides the Silver Star and Bronze Star, that he was awarded two Purple Hearts. And this was untrue. Not true. Not true. Is it technically stolen valor if you were? Uh, it, it is. Maybe. It is okay. because you, you have to consider that there, there were a lot of people that were really injured in right. war that received Purple Hearts, and he was not one of them. Now, so he, you he, have to be injured to get a Purple Heart? I, I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, the Purple Heart, you have to be injured, I think, in battle, actually. Now, he was injured um, in an automobile accident while he was stationed in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty severely injured, but he was not injured in battle. Did this lie come out during his campaign? Yeah, it did. That's usually yeah. the kind of thing that'll sink you. And uh, and this is something that later on was used to call his character into question. Yeah, I understand. But that. I want to go ahead and bring that up because you know he, while he was um, you know a decorated marine, mm-hmm. he also had the stolen valor incident. So let's just keep this balanced. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, now Michael also had a history of criticizing local law enforcement and the local prosecutors. For what? Um, well, you know, just the fact that they they couldn't, you know, apprehend criminals. They couldn't get uh, convictions on things. It's just really critical of everything about them, especially a prosecutor named Jim Harden, who actually happened to be the prosecutor, lead prosecutor on this case. Oh. Um, so which, they, their relationship was already soured before? Very, he- very much so. Um, so what you, you'd think would be maybe a little bit of another conflict of interest with that, but I, it's hard to say. Right. You know, he he did most of the high profile cases, uh, so I don't know. But, and also, from what I remember, most prosecutors probably would have charged this case. Yeah, I, I would say so. Now, another thing, just just to mention um, about Durham in general is it is a college town, but you have a a huge wealth disparity in Durham. You know, you have some wealthy people like Michael and his wife. And a lot of poor people. Okay. Um, you've got a lot of, um, you know, apparently it's a, very, a pretty racist town at times, especially law enforcement has been accused of being racist, stuff like that. Um, and, and there have been issues with law enforcement in Durham. I mean, it was after this, but let's not forget the, the Duke lacrosse case um, where, you know, they were. Oh, um, God, I forgot about that. Yeah, they were, you know, um, they were charged. Magnum or what was her Crystal, name? Crystal, something like that. I think that was. Magnum or Magnum? It's Crystal something. Yeah. But, you know, falsely accused of, of, of rape and falsely charged as well, apparently. Well, to so, be clear, she falsely accused the Duke lacrosse players. Yes. Right. Yeah. And then, um, and then you know, they were charged as well. This isn't the same prosecutor. prosecutor, is it? No, no. That was a different prosecutor. Because that. that guy, I think he ended up getting disbarred or something. I, I believe he did, yeah. But I just want to mention that. Things he did were insane. Yeah, they really were. Lied was, about uh, DNA tests that would have mm-hmm. exonerated them. Yeah. Well, let's. I just want to keep in, in mind that there has been some history of some questionable practices with law enforcement and prosecution in Durham. Okay. Right. Uh, but, but moving on um, now. By all reports, Michael and Kathleen had a really idyllic marriage. They never fought. And that's pretty much anyone you talk to, family members, friends. You know, they they really loved each other. They got along very well. Um, Kathleen had one daughter from a previous marriage. Her name is Caitlin. Okay. Michael had two sons with his first wife, Patty. They're named Todd and Clayton. And then Michael had two adopted daughters named Margaret and Martha. Um Margaret and Martha belonged to a neighbor of uh, Michael and Patty's when they lived in Germany. Her name was Elizabeth Ratliff, mm-hmm. and she died in 1985 when they were very young, and uh, Michael adopted them. Okay. And uh, the family was very close. Uh, the, the kids were very close to Michael and Kathleen. Um, the, the girls, Margaret and Martha, they called Kathleen mom. 
Oh, okay. You know, the, the, they, you know, they're really close. Um, but that's just sort of the background here. Let's get on into um, the timeline of what happened. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't remember much about this. Yeah. So the Kathleen died on the early morning hours of December 9th. But we're going to start on December 8th a little bit. Um, because and, and this this is a, a detail that will be a little more important later, but I want to mention it because this apparently happened on the eighth, okay. about three thirty p.m. Um, hundreds of images were deleted off of the Peterson computer with a program called Quick Clean. Do we have? We any, don't know. Do we know anything about that? We don't know what those images are, and it has never really come out about who did that. If maybe it was a scheduled process or something like that, maybe it was to clean up space. There was no way to restore them though. No, and um. And we don't know if, you know, if Michael even did that, you know, it could have been someone else. It, we'll come back to that part later, okay. though. I just want to mention it as, as part of the timeline. Though. Because when you when you get into the other details, it is suspicious. Um, now, uh, around 7 p.m., Michael rents America's Sweethearts at uh, Blockbusters. Mm -hmm. at Blockbusters at Blockbuster. Right. And uh, he uh, takes that home and he and Kathleen watch that while they eat dinner. Now, uh, they're also drinking wine with dinner. That's That's another important part of the case. Now, Todd was home at the time, but um, about 10.20 p.m., he left with Christine Tomasetti to go to a party. Okay. Now, I'm not sure if Christine was his girlfriend at the time or just a friend, but Christine did see um, Michael and Kathleen drinking wine together and said, be having a good time when she left. Okay. And what time was this, roughly? At uh, 10.20. Okay. About 10.20. Now, at 10.40 p.m., someone did log on to the computer. Okay. Um, and we don't know for sure who that was. Uh, Michael says that the movie ended at about 11 and they moved into the kitchen and continued drinking wine. Mm -hmm. He says they, they probably had two bottles of wine that night. And uh, then they left the kitchen and moved down by the pool and they sat by the pool and talked. Now it was uh, Michael said about 55 or 60 degrees that night and which in December, that's a nice night, mm -hmm. you know? A lot of people say, why do you sit outside for so long, uh, you know, on a cool night like that? But Michael was a smoker. He smoked a pipe, so maybe that wasn't allowed in the house. And, you know, maybe they just enjoyed the cool weather. Okay. But they, they did. That's what he said. They sat by the pool. Um, now, it's not unbelievable. It's not unbelievable, but it's, 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 it's what apparently happened according to Michael. Okay. Now, um, going along with that timeline, uh, at 11.08, Kathleen's coworker actually spoke to her on the phone and says she's going to email her a file that Kathleen needed for a, um, a teleconference the next day. Uh -huh. um, now, I don't know how that works with, you know, with Michael and when they're in the kitchen and when they move on. And Michael doesn't really mention the, the, the phone call. Maybe he didn't know about it. Now, at 11.53 p.m., uh, that email does come in, but it was never actually opened. Uh, so I, that doesn't necessarily mean Kathleen was killed or died before that. I, mean, I miss maybe, emails all the time. Right. You know, maybe she was just out drinking and just didn't make it back up there to get the, the file, yeah. you know. Um, now, it's unclear exactly what time Kathleen was supposed to have left the pool to walk inside. Um, according to Michael, is maybe sometime around one thirty two, maybe a little later. Is there reason to doubt that? Well, Possibly. Okay. We'll get to it in a little bit. Uh, but Michael stayed by the pool drinking, uh, according to him. And um, he uh, he left the pool maybe about 2.30. At 
2.41. That's when Michael calls 911. And uh, he actually says on the phone call that Kathleen's still alive at the time. He does sound very panicked in the phone call. Um, and maybe we can play that at some point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that'd be great. Just play some, some clips up because he, he sounds very, you know, really panicked. But he does use the phrase, she's still breathing, which I found to be a strange phrase. You know, maybe if she... Maybe when you see all that blood, you think, oh, she's dead. But then you say, oh, she's still breathing. Uh, I mean, I can, that makes sense. Right. But uh, he, I mean, that's he, a sure sign of life. I mean, right. it seems well, like he, that's probably what, if you had legitimately found a loved one lying in a pool of their own blood, I'm sure the first thing you would look for is some sign that they were still alive. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. And it breathing just, is one of the more readily yeah. obvious signs of life. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know. I don't know. I just I found it to be strange wording, but that doesn't you know mean. Guilt. I haven't, I mean, of course, you know, I haven't listened to the nine one one call either. But we'll, we'll right. put it in the episode. For well, sure. he's you know I mean, he's obviously he would have been panicked. He was probably drunk. No telling how he would have reacted to things. Right. Right. Now he did call back just a few minutes later to say that she had stopped breathing, and then paramedics arrive at two forty eight, and Kathleen's dead. Uh, they find her lying at the bottom of the stairs uh, in a lot of blood. And some of this blood was, you know, congealed and drying. Okay. So the blood had been there for, for a while. Um, now, uh, Todd showed up just after the paramedics. Okay. And, um, you know, he was trying to help Michael out and, uh, you know, kind of moved him into the into the living room, onto the couch. And then he went into the kitchen to get him a drink and stuff like that. Um According to, you know, different, different accounts, multiple accounts on that one that Todd did these things. And that's important because um, even though, you know, when the police showed up, they found this to be suspicious. They thought it looked like foul play. But investigators didn't actually show up till, well, excuse me, they showed up, but they didn't actually shut the scene down till about 3.30. Okay. So you've had people there for, you know, about 40 minutes, 45 minutes. Before they they you know tape this off and and stop people from walking around in it. Is it so? Is, there, is the implication that someone tampered or may have tampered with the crime scene? Not necessarily tampered, but definitely you, you could have contamination, Contamin- right? Okay, you know because um, doesn't have to be malicious. Yeah, uh, so it, it's hard to say. You know what got moved around? What you know evidence could have been? You know blood could have been smeared somewhere else. Right, right. Um, you do have they did find. Um, let's. Uh, let me, I'll get into the scene in just a second. Sorry. Okay. Um, but I just wanted to, to mention that, you know, there was some possible contamination with that. And we'll get into that in a second. Um, but at, now at, at some point, and, and obviously investigators already said this looks suspicious to Michael. And at some point he logs onto his computer again uh, that night, which is, is weird, about four or five o'clock. Okay. And at five in the morning, he goes ahead and contacts his lawyer. Are the investigators still at the home at this point? Yes. Right. Now, um, some people would say going ahead and contacting a lawyer at that point uh, shows guilt. But, it's just smart. Like I understand yeah. why people think that, but if they tell you it looks like a murder scene, you're the last one to see her alive. You find her body, right. and you're the husband. Like if, you are if the you primary talk to suspect. Them, you're an idiot. Yeah, you so should get an attorney. He should have contacted his lawyer. I, I don't think that that shows guilt. At I all. never hold getting an attorney against yeah. people because you should. Right now, he would end up being arrested and charged with first degree murder. Now, and was it, was it soon after? Um, it, it wasn't very, I mean, it wasn't that night, obviously, right. but pretty soon after he, he was, he was charged with first degree murder. And we'll talk about the charge later because I, I think first degree murder was not the correct charge for that. But 
we discuss this all the time with prosecutors making the wrong charge. Right. Um, but I do want to start by talking about the scene and, you know, some of the evidence. Now, um, there was a wine bottle and wine glasses found on the counter. Uh, now, they did find Michael's clear prints, but not Kathleen's. Although there they were DNA on the glasses? I, I don't know if they found any DNA. I, I never read any information about that. I didn't find anything in the trial about DNA. But there were several smudges on the glasses. So Kathleen's prints could have been there. They just were smudges, and they, they couldn't find, uh, you know, you know, clear prints. So nothing that immediately corroborates his story that they were drinking together? Other than the two glasses? No, the two glasses. Not really. Well, well, no. Kathleen, I'll get to this in a minute about her um, autopsy report, but she did have a blood alcohol level of 0.07. Oh, okay. So she was drinking, right. obviously. Now, um, Not much, but... Well, she was drinking, yeah. and she was taking Valium. So that, that mixed together, that could cause an issue, right? Now, uh, some strange things I they found. I she was on Valium. I didn't remember that. From the yeah. yeah, she was on Valium. Her sister said she took Valium all the time. She'd been under a lot of stress. Okay. So uh, now there were um, some blood soaked towels that were underneath Kathleen's head. Um, and, you know, ostensibly Michael put those there to support her head. But, you know, they could have been used for something else. And that was just to cover up. Right. Right. Um, now, also, Michael, when the the uh, paramedics show up, is barefoot and his shoes and socks are laying over near Kathleen. It's a little weird. It is weird, though. I mean. If you walk into this big bloody mess, maybe you don't want to just track blood everywhere. I just can't possibly. imagine that'd be something I was thinking about at the time. I mean, I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know, but that's 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 what happened, right? Um, now, some some blood spatter, very interesting, would be found. Michael was wearing shorts, mm -hmm. and uh, some blood spatter was found on the inside of one of the legs of those shorts. And um, what's the speculation about how it got there? Did he have an explanation? No, the, the the defense really doesn't touch on that one, but prosecution definitely uses that one. I mean, it seems yeah. like you'd want an explanation for why your why the victim's blood was on you like that. Yeah, yeah, and, and well, and you know, he in, said, a, in a spider pattern. Yeah, well, he did, you know, he he did, you know, get down with Kathleen. He actually went over and embraced Kathleen's body at one point. They just let him do that, you know. So. It's hard to say how that but would end up there. You said spatter. Was this like a particular But this was spatter. This okay. did appear to be spatter on the inside. It didn't it wasn't just a big stain. Hmm. Um so that is, you know, that's troubling. How would it have gotten on the inside though? It is very confusing. And and we don't know for sure. We don't know. Now it wasn't a, a ton of spatter, it was just a little bit. I'm just not sure what to make of it. How did it get there? I, I don't know either. Um the and probably as far as the blood goes, the the most damning piece of evidence against Michael is that that on the back of Kathleen's leg, now Kathleen was found on her back, right? Okay. On the back of her leg, there was a bloody footprint made by Michael's shoe. And how does he say that got there? That again, the defense doesn't really deal with that. They, they just, the defense calls into question a lot of this evidence because of contamination of the scene. But I mean, if you're talking to a jury, that's something you need an explanation for. I agree with that. I do agree with that. But so much of this was called into question because of that. I mean, the fact that, you know, Michael even went up and embraced her. He was next to her. He was trying to, you know, maybe trying to revive her. They say that anything could have happened, moving her around. Maybe he was kneeling down. That happened. You know, I mean, th this may be a little far-fetched, but imagine, you know, she's lying there on the ground. You're kneeling down. Maybe you try to move her around and her leg is pulled on top of the back of your shoe because you're on your knees. I suppose. I mean, that that. 
But tell that to a jury. Yeah, I, I could not find anything in testimony about that footprint as far as the defense goes. But that, I'm sure the prosecution hit on oh, it. Oh, they hit on it for sure. And it, 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 it was there. It's important to note that. Um, now, uh, lots of blood spatter. Okay. And one area is sort of smeared like someone tried to wipe it. Mm-hmm. But there's more spatter on top of that. So that's really strange. And uh, something the defense defense will say later is that, you know, Kathleen has slipped and she was trying to get back up and maybe was pulling on the wall there, which, which, you know, wiped it. And then there was more spatter after because, and and we'll get into this more later, but but what the defense says is this is not like a cast off pattern of spatter where she was being attacked. It was where, you know, she was coughing and blood was going all over the wall. Couldn't they have checked for like spittle with it? Well, it wasn't. I don't know exactly if they would have found that, but according to the expert, it wouldn't have been necessarily in her mouth. It was blood kind of running down her, okay. her face, and then she coughed, and it would blow that blood gotcha, off. Gotcha, gotcha. Right. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, also, uh, there are just a couple drops of blood uh, on the ceiling in the hallway uh, next to the, the staircase, but it's not much. How it's far just away a, are these? It's from- pretty close, but it's only a couple drops. You know, and that's that's really all. It's on the ceiling. Uh, now, there's also some blood on the front door. And how and far away is that from the stairs? She's very close to the front door. She just basically came in the front door, and there's where the stairs are. Okay. Now, initially, Michael thought she fell down all the stairs, but that that apparently was not the case. Oh, I thought she did fall down the stairs. That- well, um, now the the defense was would pushed, say I mean, well, on. the defense would say she was going up the stairs and fell just just you know. Just backwards, maybe five, five, ten. I don't remember exactly how many steps it was. Just five or ten steps up, she fell backwards and and you know hit her head, and that caused the gashes and everything. But had she, like, was it so close to the wall that had she fallen, she'd have hit the wall? Yes, and there there were impact marks on the wall. Okay, um, that 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 uh, they they identified. So she definitely seemed to fall back and hit there. But Michael initially, when when he called, he thought she had fallen down all the stairs, is what he said. But you know, apparently that's not what happened. Mm. Um, and like I said, there's blood on the front door, on the outside of the front door. That seems like a reasonable assumption if you didn't yeah. see it happen. And uh, blood on the walkway. Okay. Outside. Uh, but just just not a lot. Just some blood on the front door, some on the walkway. Um, so for the most part, the blood was where it should have been. Yeah, for the, for the most part, yeah. Okay. Uh, now, the, uh, and let's remember, you know, like Todd walked in. There was some blood in the kitchen, but like Todd walked into the kitchen, right? He walked okay. through the bloody mess. It, it's it's so hard to to say anything about that blood because of the way the scene was treated. You know, police were probably walking through there too. There's no telling who all walked. So I, the only reason I bring that up about the blood is I'm just making sure that there's no indication that uh, the crime happened somewhere else and she was moved. Like no, there there, there is no indication okay. of that. Uh, if 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 she was murdered, she was murdered there. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um. Maybe maybe possibly attacked right outside and then it moved inside, but but right right in that area. Okay. Um. Now. Uh, talking about the body, the medical examiner, the, excuse me, the medical examiner initially determined that um, that she died from a fall. However, after the autopsy, they decided that she had died from blood loss. But she which, did have head trauma too. Well, not really trauma. She had injuries to the scalp. She had several gashes, um, like seven long gashes on the back of her scalp. But it didn't appear to be like a brain injury or anything like that. So she died from blood loss, mainly from cuts to her head. Yes. Um, and you How know, does that work? It's, it's well, uh, 
according to uh, the examination of the brain and the brain cells, they were deprived of oxygen, and that's what she died from. So it would be the blood loss. And the the uh, prosecution says that it would have taken at least 90 minutes for her to die from that. Yeah, that doesn't seem very quick. No. Uh, so, you know, she would have had to have left Michael out there pretty, you know, he would have had to have been there for a while by himself. Right. By the pool. For her to go in there, slip, and then bleed to death for at least 90 minutes. So his story is that they were both outside. She went in. He mm-hmm. stayed out. Yeah. And then he found her when he came in. Yeah. And, and he doesn't seem very sure of how long he was out there. And to be honest, you know, if he's sitting out there in a sort of a, 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 a chaise lounge, chase lounge, however you want to pronounce that, uh, you know, lean back drinking wine. He's had a lot of wine. He could have passed out out there and not even be sure. Yeah, very true. Was, yeah. You know, um, but at any rate, she does have uh, seven long gashes in the uh, back of her head. She um, also had some smaller uh, gashes on the front of her face, um, just kind of really small. Um, She did have um, some bruising on her face and uh, some bruising on the front of her arms as well, which does sort of suggest an attack. Yeah, it does. Um, Now, as I said, she had a uh, blood alcohol level of 0.07. Mm-hmm. and um, she had been taking Valium. So the, the Valium and the alcohol together, I think they, they do lend themselves to a, uh, maybe a slip on the stairs. Definitely possible. It's not that drunk, and it I, depends on how much Valium she had. She took it frequently. I, but, you know, it, it's not going to help her balance for sure. Right? No, no it's, it's not. It's not. Um, now, moving on from you know Kathleen's body in the – the immediate scene of the death mm-hmm. uh, law enforcement would find uh, nude images of men and gay pornography on Michael's computer. How is that relevant to the crime? Well, it's uh, relevant because they're painting this as a picture of the fact that Michael was having, uh, you know, affairs with men. And oh, Kathleen he just wasn't found happy in the marriage anymore. Okay. Well, not happy with the marriage. Also, that the, they they portrayed it in trial. They painted a picture of, you know, Kathleen found out about that that night. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, they had a big fight and Michael killed her. Okay. That's yeah, possible. Um, now, Michael says, you know, Michael says he's bisexual. He was bisexual. He is bisexual. And he says that Kathleen knew about that. And that they that they sort of had this unspoken thing where he would, you know, see other men. Um, they law enforcement actually found printed out emails of interactions between Michael and a male escort that he'd been planning to meet. And that particular meeting never happened. Mm-hmm. The the escort had to cancel. But um, you know, this was this was a planned. This was planned. They um they actually So part of me thinks that he may be telling the truth here just because you said there was a program he used that was deleting files earlier. Like, if he really wanted these gone. He would delete all of them. Why wouldn't he have deleted these as well? Exactly, right? So maybe it wasn't even him deleting deleting things off the computer. Maybe someone else was deleting things. You know, maybe Todd or Clayton had some porn on there they deleted. You know, Possible. You know the I mean? timing is really weird. And using a program that completely deletes it like mm-hmm. that. It's, it's, it's very strange. It's suspicious. Yeah. But... Again, there was still a lot of this on the computer, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, now, the the prosecution would actually call this male escort to testify. His name was, um, oh, 
my goodness. His name was Brad. There he is. I couldn't find it in my notes. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Brad, they called Brad to testify. And uh, Brad talked about, you know, how he was planning to meet Michael. And the prosecution really um, drilled him about some details about, like, you know, what his meetings with clients involved. And it got kind of graphic. You know, they asked him, you know, what kind of sex would you have the clients? Okay. And, Again, why would that be relevant? Well, you know, it's it's really not. And I'm I'm really surprised that the judge allowed that to go on because yeah. all this is doing is prejudicing a jury because, like I said, we're in Durham, North Carolina. Right. Um, and you have a lot of people here that probably, you know, are very homophobic. And that, that prosecutor knew exactly what he was doing. Oh, he, he knew exactly what he was doing. And, I'm, and I said, I'm surprised the judge allowed this. And that got really graphic, you know, about, about the sex and things. I mean, sometimes, you know, that sort of thing can be relevant to a crime, right? Yeah, but I don't think but in this, this case it was. Uh, I mean, asking a random male escort yeah, what he does, I mean, come on. When you've already established that he was planning to have a meeting with Michael and they discussed it, and you have the emails printed out to prove it. I don't know why Michael would have printed out these emails. Maybe he wanted to keep the emails and delete them off the, you know, out of his email account. So, Maybe. I, I don't know. Um, that seemed a little, seems a little dumb if you're trying to hide it. Maybe he wasn't trying to hide it. Maybe Kathleen did know about this. Was stuff. this a uh, potential prejudice or I say potential. Was this a, uh, a note that they, uh, they've hit on an appeals? Yes. Yes. Uh, th they thought that it was unfair. They were able to introduce that. And it was, it was very prejudicial. Weird. Very prejudicial. Uh, now, I mean, what, um, what's the probative value? Can't find any? No, no. Now, I will say, though, that, that some parts of Brad's testimony when he was cross-examined did seem to maybe help out the defense because, you know, they asked him, um, you know, did Michael talk about his wife? And he said, yeah, he, he definitely did. He said he was very happily married. That this was just meeting was just about sex and that he had a great wife that he loved very much. And you can see that in the emails that are printed out. Um, Brad said that most of his clients uh, were married men and that he said that a lot of their wives knew about it and they were fine with it. Okay. Um, now, in, we don't have any proof that Kathleen knew about this side of Michael other than the fact that Michael said she knew about it, but he's, he's really vague on it. He says, you know, we didn't really talk about it much. It wasn't something we talked about, but I can understand why that would be sort of an unspoken thing. You don't talk right. about a lot. Touchy subject. Yeah. Touchy subject. Now when his uh, messages back and forth uh, to the escort, did they seem to suggest that the wife probably knew? Like, did, did it seem like a dark secret to him that he was trying to keep? It didn't seem like any sort of dark secret, but it didn't explicitly say that his wife knew about it. Either. Okay. Um, but again, you know, you do have Kathleen, uh, you know, trying to check email earlier that night. She, she was apparently got on the computer to check for the file at some point. So, you know, you do have the potential of the fact she could have run across some gay pornography on the computer when she did that. And that's what prosecution is sort of leaning on is that she discovered that they had a fight and then, you know, Michael killed her. However, that does not go with murder one to me. That, that does not show any sort of premeditation. Now, so I know that it gets, it gets a little tricky, but from what I understand, the intent that's required for first degree murder can be formed at, in most places can be formed at any time. Between the commission, between the commission of the crime and the thought, right? But they're saying that Michael Peterson and you, like you I, don't, you don't have to have spend a day planning it. Is what no. I'm saying. And, and I'll get into this more in in a moment when we talk about the alleged weapon, right? But they they 
They say that Michael Peterson took something and beat her over the head repeatedly with it and caused her to bleed to death. That sounds like a crime of passion. That does not sound like any yeah, sort yeah. of premeditation to me. Yeah, so I agree. I, I think that was definitely the wrong charge if you really think that's what happened. I think second-degree murder would have been the correct charge, but, you know. If I'm we want prosecutors to charge differently, we're going to have to force them to do that. Uh, you, you may be right on that. Um, now, that that is one motive is um, perhaps an unhappy marriage. Michael was, you know, maybe stepping out there. Uh, or maybe Kathleen found out about it. You, you do have motive there, possible motive. Just to right? clarify, when I said we need to force them, I was I meant through legislation. Yeah, that uh, obviously. Just wanted to clear that obviously. up. Obviously. Um, please, please don't go attacking random prosecutors. <laughs> No, we let's not do that at all. Uh, now, uh, another possible motivation was money. Um, the Petersons were in debt. They had over $140,000 in credit card debt. Oh, that's not um, good. Right. Now, uh, was there a life insurance policy? There, there was. Uh, um, Kathleen had a $1.4 million life insurance policy, as well as some other life insurance benefits from Nortel. Was he the sole beneficiary? No, it would have been shared with her daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, it would have been shared with her, but he would have still gotten quite a bit of money. Um, That's a motive. Yeah. Uh, another thing, uh, like I said, that they had all that debt. She did make you know about 150000 a year. However, Nortel was having layoffs. So there was some stress for her that maybe she could have gotten laid off, mm-hmm. but there was no direct threat of it. Okay. Um, their house was valued over a million dollars. Now, um, another interesting detail about the house, I, I, I'll just mention, um, a lot of people know about the uh, the Hulu show Handmaid's Tale. Uh, there was a 1990 movie, Handmaid's Tale, based on the same, same book. book. Yeah. Uh, and a good portion of that was filmed in that house. Uh, they didn't own it at the time. Someone else owned it, but it was filmed in the house. It was uh, it was used as the set for the commander's house. Okay, yeah, it's interesting okay. detail, and it shows you that it's, it is uh, a mansion, right? You know, okay, worth over a million dollars in um, you know, in a in a college town that's you know usually uh, somewhat desirable as well. Yeah, being yeah. being in a location like Durham. Um, so again, this uh, this could have been uh, motivation, the money, you know, debt. Michael wasn't. Wasn't uh, bringing in money. Kathleen was bringing in all the money. So Though I'll be honest. Those two motives seem to conflict. The randomly finding mm. gay pornography. They do. And they do. the uh, and the insurance policy. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't seem compatible. It seems that one or the other. Yeah, no, that's I, another. I that, agree. That seems like the prosecution was just throwing everything they could find no, at the that, wall. That, see what they stuck. really did. The prosecution just threw everything out there. And we're about to get into something else. They just sort of threw out. Like, there. I really think the state should be required to have a. A solid theory of the case. They shouldn't just be able to just chunk spaghetti against the wall. Well, I agree, but I think some of that responsibility lies with the judge in you know not allowing certain things in. Right? If 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 uh, if you've built a case about this and you're introducing something else, like if your theory is that you know they found out, you know that that Kathleen found out about this gay pornography, so he murdered her in you know a fit of rage or whatever. Why are you allowing their financials to be entered as evidence? Right. I mean, and there's no way that you as a prosecutor can can believe in good faith that that both of these motives are beyond a reasonable doubt. No. Well, he definitely killed her because of the gay porn thing. Right. But if you don't buy that, then he definitely killed her over the money. Yeah. And you know what? That's just shameless. And you know, like, honestly, and, and 
I'm going to do a lot of criticizing of the prosecution, uh, you know, what we're talking about here. But that doesn't mean I necessarily think that, that Michael's innocent, right? right like, yeah. We're talking about there are certain pieces of evidence that are very convincing. But I do want to talk about some another couple of things that they just threw at the case here. Just just some and, and some of it's, it's not random, but some of it I can't believe was allowed. Uh now, do you remember everyone remembers um Michael Peterson's neighbor in Germany that we talked about, Elizabeth Ratliff. Yeah. Right. Uh she died in nineteen eighty five. Well, it comes out that she was also found dead at the bottom of a staircase in her home. Really? Yeah. And prosecutors jump on this, right? Now, German officials uh, ruled when you know her body was found that she died from a cerebral hemorrhage. And then an autopsy was performed by U.S. Army Dr. Larry Barnes, who confirmed she died of a cerebral hemorrhage. She was known to have been having severe headaches at the time, and she'd actually made an appointment to see a doctor about it, but she died before that appointment. Then how could they possibly suggest these two things are related? Well, the prosecution claimed that this is evidence because when she was found at the bottom of that staircase, that later on gave Michael Peterson the idea of how to stage Kathleen's death. Because this one was found at the bottom of the staircase, maybe he should stage Kathleen's death at the bottom of a staircase when he kills her. Mm-hmm. However, what they're really trying to do is to plant an idea in the jury's mind he that he may before. have killed this this woman, yeah, and he's done this before, right? Even though the evidence seems to point away from that. Now, uh, Elizabeth Ratliff, uh, even though she died in Germany, was uh, laid to rest in Texas. And in 2003... Um, the prosecution decided they wanted to exhume her body and do another autopsy. Now, a couple of strange things about this. One is that um, she was exhumed in Texas and then transported all the way back to North Carolina for doctor or for pathologist Deborah Radish to uh, perform an autopsy. Who Radish, you know, had already performed an autopsy on Kathleen mm-hmm. and had already helped them determine that Kathleen was murdered. So she seems to be, you know, well, that's, that's a definite conflict of interest. And uh, Peterson's attorney, David Rudolph really argued that why not? Uh, why is she performing this? Why not a neutral pathologist in Texas? We don't have to move the body could perform this second autopsy. Right. Yeah, of course. And you know, it, it was allowed that she'd be brought back to North Carolina for this particular pathologist do the autopsy. Um, another thing That's that insane. yeah, that I have not okay. So this this point I have not heard brought up in any articles or any other podcast, even in the documentary. But in the documentary, they do say I, I hear um, Peterson's attorney David Rudolph say um, they're saying that she should be perfectly preserved, right? Because you know she's been embalmed, buried, everything. But I've definitely read. In multiple articles that an autopsy was performed on her when she died. And as you know, from several cases I've looked into preservation after an autopsy is very difficult. Now, I don't know much about that, but I, this, 
this is was insane to me before that. Right. Well, so, I mean, you you have to understand, and uh, this is going to get a little graphic. For, I mean, not that we haven't already been graphic, but this is going to get a little extra graphic if anybody has a problem with this. But you know, when you do an autopsy, they're pulling all of your organs out of your body, looking at them under a microscope, right. weighing them, and then they basically just shove them into a garbage bag, garbage bag and put them back inside of you and sew you up. Uh, your circulatory system is not intact at that point. So how is embalming effective, right? Uh, how are these organs going to be preserved inside of you if they need to be examined again? You know, if if her brain was pulled out of her head, right, uh, to determine that she had a hemorrhage, how is that brain going to be preserved for another autopsy to determine, you know, what, what happened to her I mean, It later seems like on? a good question to me, though. Of course, I know nothing about this. So, And this is, you know, nearly 20 years later. She died in 1985. This is 2003, 18 years later. You know, I mean, how do you determine anything this this much later? At least 17 years later, depending on the, the month of these things happen, right? This prosecutor's a real scumbag. Well, you know, they were already enemies, right? Now, even stranger is that when Radish performs this autopsy, she puts in her report that Ratliff died from blunt force trauma as a result of a homicidal assault. The hell? And okay, how could she possibly know that? Exactly. Now, 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 David Rudolph argued very strongly that this is, you know, a very prejudicial report. It's 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 inflammatory. It's intentionally even. prejudicial. You know, exactly. You you cannot put that. Write that down in a report that this was the result of a homicidal assault. You can put down, like, you can check suspected homicide. Right. You can, you can say blunt force trauma, but you can't say this was a blunt force trauma as a result of a homicidal assault. That's you, just you can't ludicrous. say that, especially when you've already had, you know, a German uh, official and a, a U.S. Army official determine that this was a cerebral hemorrhage, uh, back, a natural cause. Back when the— uh, When it happened. Right. When, it, you know, in 1985, just after it happened. So— I'm I'm shocked that a judge even let that in. I am too. That that is the most shocking thing to me that was allowed in. Um, anything about Elizabeth Ratliff, you know, he sure you know at the time maybe he was suspected for a few seconds, but he really worked with German officials. He answered all the questions. He was very helpful, and then he adopted this woman's daughters and raised them as his own. After you know, oh, I mean, it's just such a strange thing to bring in i i can't believe it was it was allowed at all it it's obviously it was there to say hey he probably murdered this woman and murdered kathleen the same way this trial sounds like a clown show thus far oh i didn't remember it being this bad and of course it's been years since i've seen the documentary really really was really was and you know and this is not these are the facts here this is not me being possibly swayed by the staircase documentary right which i'm i'm really trying not to be because i have seen that multiple times but yeah, there's that. Now, now, there's another thing we need to move on to mention here, and that is the murder weapon. Um, Kathleen's sister, Candace Zamperini, had gifted Kathleen and some other family members blow pokes several years before. Now, I didn't know when they said blow poke, I had no idea what yeah, a blow poke was. I was just was. about to ask that. Um, but it's, um, it's similar to a, um, just a, a, a fireplace poker. Mm-hmm. That you would have, except um, it's hollow, and there's a hole that you can blow into, sort of while you're you poke it, and then you put it in there and blow into it, and it stokes the fire. Okay. And uh, according to to Candace, she 
loved her blowpokes so much, she gave her sisters, you know, and some other people blowpokes as a gift. Seems like a strange thing to be attached to, but strange okay. thing. Now, um, this blowpoke was never found when um, they were going through the the Peterson home. Um, authorities could not find the blowpoke, and they thought that this must have been the murder weapon. That and Michael had disposed of it. Now the blowpoke was, you know, a long instrument, um, rigid but not very heavy because it was hollow. Mm -hmm. So they thought that it could, you know, cause these. You know, if he beat her over the head with this blowpoke, it could cause these gashes, but not any fractures to the skull, so anything like that. Did they? Were there any wounds that it matched? I mean, did they have the the one from the sister they looked at? They, they did. Yeah, they they had hers, and they had uh, you know another one that she had, she had gotten from the other sister. They recovered, and um, you know it's they you can't just say that this caused that gash, right? Because no. you're smacked on the head with this, and that's what caused that gash. It's not like it's a knife. It's so not like it's, they discovered that this couple had received a gift. What? How long ago? I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many years before it was, but it had been years. And a rather odd gift at that. Yep. And then took its absence as evidence that it was the murder weapon. Yes. And they really married their case to this blowpoke. They were talking about the blowpoke all the time. The hit her with this blowpoke, 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 blowpoke. That's obnoxious. All the time. Well, really, really strange, maybe even suspect thing happens after this, right? Okay. Prosecution gets all the way through their case. Defense gets just about all the way through their case. They're getting ready to rest. The defense is. The blowpoke is found in the garage. In the garage? In the garage. It's sort of a basement garage, right? But how had they not found it thus far? Who knows? Who knows how this was not found, right? Was it because covered in blood? Nope. No blood. They tested it. No blood whatsoever. Uh, there were some bugs stuck to it, some cobwebs. It was dirty. It was just leaning up so against the wall. So it looked like it had been there for a long time. It like it had been there for quite a while. They tested it very well, could not find any blood. So, obviously, this blowpoke was not the weapon. Yeah. Um, it was found by Michael's son, Clayton. And um, people have called in Clayton's reliability, as far as this goes. Obviously, it was the blowpoke, and it was old. It um, it didn't exactly match the one that Candace owned, mm -hmm. um, but it did match the one the other sister owned. Oh, okay. So, so, so the ones would have been the, the same time. It it was the same type of blowpoke. It matched, and um, so it had to be the blowpoke. But like I said, Clayton's reliability was called into question because um, you know, and I'm, I mentioned this, I don't want to like drag Clayton through the mud or anything, but um, when he was younger, Clayton had been found guilty of trying to bomb a building on the Duke University campus, and he served four years in federal prison for it. He had a homemade pipe bomb that did not explode. He tried to set it off, though? He, he tried. He, he placed it. Oh. I don't know if he tried to make it explode, but he did place the pipe bomb. Okay. So, you know, people think, you know, Clayton is already a criminal. He's a troubled young man. Um, and he's the one that found this. They think it's suspicious. And I'll be honest with you. It is extremely suspicious the prosecution gets so married to this blowpoke, and they find it, like, on the last couple of days of yeah. the trial. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let's be honest, you know, if the prosecution, sure, if they were planting it, surely they'd have put some blood on it or something. No, they, I'm not saying they planted it. No, not at all. Uh, th this really helped the defense more than anything. Yeah, right. Of course. Um, but, but let's say that it's very suspect when they found it when they did. Right. But if the prosecution has gotten into the case and let's say it's like a month into the case, right. Mm -hmm. 
the prosecution is just completely married themselves to this blowpoke. It may be smart if you do run across it not to bring it up until later, until the prosecution rests. So, well, I'm not saying maybe the defense, you know, hit it and brought it back or anything like that. You know what? They may have found it quite a bit earlier and just didn't mention I mean, it. Didn't let the documentary team find out about it and then just held on to it as its ace in the hole for the end of the trial. I don't blame them. Possibly. But he obviously. I mean, you know, you shouldn't, be, vi- wasn't shouldn't the, be violating discovery rules. But No, but the blowpoke wasn't the murder weapon at any rate, right? Yeah. They just they may have just let them hang themselves with the blowpoke, but they didn't, you know, plant a new blowpoke or anything like that. Right. You know, okay. Right? Now, um, I mean, the, the whole notion of the blowpoke being the murder weapon seems kind of ludicrous to begin with. Yeah, I mean, they just found does. an object that he'd been given at some yeah, just, point. Just some random thing. Well, it has to be that, obviously. Obviously, that's, we, can't we can't find, find that in it. the house. It fits the description. This is the murder weapon, right? So, no. Um, now, I do want to get back into the blood spatter, though. Okay. So, like, like this is the last of the, of the real evidence I want to get into. Okay. okay. Now, uh, the prosecution called a uh, blood spatter analyst with the SBI. That's the State Bureau of Investigation. That's what they call their their state, you know, investigating team in, in North Carolina. Right? Mm-hmm. He's SBI blood spatter specialist named Dwayne Deaver. Okay. Um, now, Deaver um, said that all this blood spatter they find along the walls, this is all a cast off pattern where, she had been hit with a, a long instrument and, you know, hitting. And then there's cast off oh, you know, okay, when you bring okay. it back. I was just about to ask what that pattern, meant. Gotcha. Right? Um, he, he says that, that most of this is that um, he says that, you know, there were the two drops of blood on the ceiling in the hallway. That's also cast off. And he says basically the whole scene uh, lines up with the prosecution's theory that she was beaten to death. So th- that was consistent with someone yeah. hitting someone over the head with something. Yeah, th- this is this is what their specialist says. Now, you know, we've mentioned how, you know, like, uh, Michael had David Rudolph, who was known as kind of a high-powered defense attorney. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they spent quite a bit of money on Rudolph and their whole defense. And they had a pretty expensive um, blood spattering list as well. I'm guessing it's Henry Lee. It was Henry Lee. It's always Henry Lee. Yeah. We, we've talked about Henry Lee before. Uh, our first case was Danny Casalero, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, JonBenet Ramsey. He worked on that. He worked on JonBenet. Um, he he was involved in the O.J. Simpson case as well. Yeah. So you you cannot get a more high profile uh, blood spatter analyst. You can't get a you know a, a more better known one. You this guy wrote books about it, right? It, he is accepted as the. Now, he has been accused of saying whatever he's paid to say at times. But you know, when you work with the defense, you're going to get that accusation. You're going to get that accusation. And, I mean, you, you can't get a bigger name in blood spatter. Let's just put it that way, right? And he was, uh, if I remember correctly, he was lied to in the Danny Castellero case. He was. He wasn't he given was. the pictures. That- he actually came back later and said he disagreed with that because they didn't provide him with all the evidence. And, yeah. and, you know, he said, you know, I can only do what they... Because they, they he didn't actually get to see to the do. crime scene. He was shown pictures, yeah. and they showed selective pictures mm-hmm. what they wanted him to yeah, see. Yeah, they didn't show him everything. Yeah. But um, in this one, he did get to visit the scene and see everything. Okay. Uh, now, he basically refuted just about everything that Deaver said. Uh, he said that none of this was cast off from an item, right? Okay. Um, he said that... All of the spatter along the walls seems to have been from coughing, uh, where you know blood's running down her face, where she's bleeding from all these gashes, and she <laughs> coughs and it sprays 
okay. all over the walls. Um, now he actually does a demonstration of this in court. He it's like a big um, white poster board type thing and puts mm-hmm. ketchup in his mouth and <laughs> coughs it and it it looks a lot like it, right? Okay. And uh, you know he basically just refutes everything. Um, he says those two drops on the ceiling in the hallway. He said there's no way that that's cast off because cast off you have a a series of droplets that all go in one way. And you, two drops is not cast off in any way. He said you can't make that determination. And you know that he seems says, reasonable. He says that this is much more consistent. You know with a fall and someone bleeding out from the fall and you know coughing trying to struggle to get up. And that's that's Henry Lee. That's this this you know huge name in blood spatter that's what he says so that seems to refute what you know the sbi analyst says right i mean i, I don't I mean, know as a layperson, it seems convincing to me it, it seems convincing to me as well but that's that's what happens with the blood spatter and that, that seems to me to be a an acceptable you know answer to the blood spatter but i will see something that i think may have hurt them on the the on henry lee's testimony mm-hmm. is that they actually did um I don't know if you call it like a, a focus group or a test jury or something like that, but they had some people listen in on um, on what Henry Lewis planning to testify on, uh, you know, before the trial. See what they thought. See what they thought, and they got complaints that you know they couldn't understand him for his accent. He just talked over there. I mean, if you've heard him, that's it's a reasonable complaint. At well, times. I mean, he, he has an accent, but he's he's understandable. And, and, and again, this might be you know like a, a another factor of like a small town Durham. Yeah, you know. Like this is a you know a, a wealthy Asian man with an accent. They're like you know speak English around here. Or something. Hey, I don't know. To be but, fair, like I've heard him several times. His accent is pretty thick. You can't understand him, mm. but I mean I could understand that criticism. But, I, I don't think it should affect how you vote as a juror. No, but like I said, the, the test jury they they didn't really like Henry Lee, so that may have hurt them on that. But that that's most of the the evidence and the uh, things introduced in trial that I want to discuss. Mm-hmm. Um. But Michael was found guilty. He was found guilty on October 10th, 2003. I mean, after that trial, what do you expect? Well, you know, I thought maybe a hung jury. Right? Maybe. You, you think someone would think he was innocent with all the, you know, just, I don't know. It was it was a farce. And you have so much stuff introduced that just doesn't make sense, right? Like, but between the, uh, the, the Ratliff incident and the... Uh, the male escort. Yeah. Like, uh, this seems like it's the jury would be too prejudiced by that point, considering oh, where this jury is. I would agree with you on, on that. But I just, you think someone, you know, in this college town would have said, hey, this is this uh, is just a fair point. Right? This is a big smoke screen by the prosecution. Right. But maybe not. You know, I don't guess they, they got all Duke professors on the, on yeah, the jury. I guess not. Right? So that's that's what happened. He was found guilty. Um and, you know, he appealed. He lost the appeal. And it looks like Michael Peterson's going to spend the rest of his life in jail. But. I had, I I guess I'm wrong. I thought he got out at some point. Well, we, we're about to get to that. Actually. Okay, okay. That's what it looked like was going to happen, right? Okay. But something happened in 2010. Um, They start, you know, reinvestigating some cases that are being appealed. And they start to look into the work of the SBI blood analyst, Dwayne Deaver. The guy who did the case here. Yeah. And he was, you know, their main, you know, ace in the hole saying, this is how we know she was murdered. This is cast off pattern. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, it turns out he had, um, he was seen as probably the worst blood spatter analyst 
working for the SBI. He was seen to have done really shoddy work when they start looking into it, just sort of ignoring science in all of his cases. He would just, you know, he's accused of just writing up reports that agree with prosecution, basically. Um, he said, you know, during the trial that he'd worked on hundreds of cases. Turns out this was his third case. Oh, dear God. Yeah. So not experienced at all. So he told a jury that he had hundreds of cases worth of experience. Yep. And he, this was his third case. Okay, that, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So obviously, this is showing that Michael did not get a fair trial. Among other things, they've been complaining about, you know, certain evidence allowed in, you know, like we've talked about, you know. I mean, like discussing the, the blood spatter is one of the few legitimate things the prosecution seems to have done. And then exactly. that turns out to be a sham as well. Exactly. I mean, I, I don't know if Michael did it, but he probably shouldn't be in prison right now if that's all they Ooh, had. No. Now, he was released. Uh, on bail in 2011 when they granted him a new trial. Okay. So, um, and this is sort of drug on for a long time. He, he actually tried to have the, the new trial dismissed um, because, you know, he didn't think there was, you know, they, they argued there wasn't enough evidence. Um, so they just weren't sure if the state was going to re, uh, refile the cases or refile the charges at this point? Well, no, they, the state was refiling the charges for sure, but okay. he was trying to get it dismissed. Um, Rudolph was still um, representing him, but at this point he was doing it pro bono because, you know, Michael didn't have any money left. And David Rudolph actually went into like some serious financial strain. I've read he almost went bankrupt, you know, representing God. Michael pro bono. Um, and then, you know, eventually, you know, they've got a trial date set for 2018. Michael's still out on bail. And um, they offer him an Alfred plea. And he takes it. He um he did an Alfred plea. I don't really plea. blame him. No. He did he 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 pled an Alfred plea, which I mean and I know we've talked about before, but just for anyone that doesn't know, an Alfred plea is basically Pleading guilty without saying you're guilty. You say that the prosecution has enough evidence to prosecute you, but you don't admit guilt. Right. And That's what the West Memphis Three did. Yeah, that they, they, they did. And um, he he made an Alfred plea on a charge of manslaughter, and was uh, was given uh, time served and released. Okay, so he's out. He's out. He is out. Yeah. Um. Now, you know, obviously. You have a lot of people that are really not satisfied by this. The right? Alfred plea, the Alfred plea, is like the last refuge of yeah. the corrupt oh, DA. Yeah. And, and you know, and you say that, that, that I think there have been some legitimate uses of an Alfred plea. I'm sure past. there have been, but some of them also have been absolute bullshit. Yeah, and and I'm going to say something here. Like I'm not going to say an Alfred plea shouldn't be allowed, but in in this kind of circumstance where you're offering an Alfred plea to someone who obviously has not been given a fair trial and it seems to be innocent. I don't think that should be allowed at all. I think I feel like a prosecutor, if, if you, if some exculpatory evidence comes up or some evidence that really casts doubt on your reasonable doubt, right? That the prosecutor should come forth, drop the charges and get them out of jail. Well, of course that's the ethical no, I mean, thing I think, to do. I think but they should, what I they're worried about is to, being sued. I get that, but I think you should be able to throw a prosecutor in jail if they don't do that. I agree, of course. You know what I mean? The latitude we give prosecutors It's in ridiculous. This is it's absurd. absolutely ridiculous. And, and you know, the problem, the, the, the root of the problem, and we've said this before, is that the job of the prosecutor in the United States is not to protect the citizens like it should be. The job is to get a conviction. Well, technically their job is to find the truth. But find the what truth. that amounts to in practice is... Getting the conviction at all costs, often. I get you. You know what? You know what I want from a prosecutor. I want you to put someone in jail that is a danger to society. Right? Don't just 
pick someone because you're under pressure and get them in jail. I mean, I'm not saying that's what they did to Michael Peterson. You know, I'm not even saying Michael Peterson's innocent, but I'm saying this was this was not tried correctly. Obviously, no, clearly not. And I don't think he should have had to sign an Alfred plea. I think they should have just you know released the man. They should have dropped the charges. Often that's a way to prevent being sued. I know. I now understand. And that's for destroying someone's life. Yeah, that's definitely what they did in the case of the West Memphis Three. Yeah, of course. Um, but like I said, there have been some legitimate uses of an Alfred plea. Like there have been times when. Someone was guilty, obviously guilty, but they didn't want to admit it, and they allowed them to make an Alfred plea, and they still put him in jail, you know, like as a, as a guilty plea, mm-hmm. you know. It's happened, right? But this one, not one of them. Uh, but, you know, Michael got out. He's He is a convicted felon for manslaughter, you know. Um, but there is there is more to the, the case I do want to discuss. Okay. I mean, past him just getting out, right? Um, the first thing is something that didn't come out until, you know, years after the after the first trial. Okay. And everyone probably knows what I'm going to mention if they're familiar with this case. That is the infamous owl theory. I am familiar. But it's been a while. Okay. They so, found a feather or something like yeah, that. Yeah, let me refresh everyone. Okay. This was something that um, a Durham attorney named T. Lawrence Pollard came up with several years after the trial. He was not involved in the trial in any way, but he did follow it. Um, you know, and and he did see some, you know, um, some, you know, Information, police reports that were released, medical reports, stuff like that. Um, and he, he actually did um, live around the same neighborhood as well as the Petersons. Okay. Now, something that was found uh, in Kathleen's hair was a microscopic owl feather. Also, in Kathleen's hand, she had ripped out some of her own hair. Okay. And there were some microscopic owl feathers found in that hair in her hand as well. Interesting. They also found uh, in her hair some pine needles and a um, a wood splinter What's from a tree outside. What's the relevance to the pine needles and whatnot? Well, this stuff came from a tree. Where an where owl, would, an owl would have been. Okay. Right. Uh, now, it is, you know, it was put forward by T. Lawrence Pollard that Kathleen may have been attacked by an owl on her way into the house. Um, now, on the surface... This sounds crazy, right? I mean, would not be my first choice for an attack animal. Right. right. And I don't think that anyone, you know, any human in the U.S. has ever been killed by an owl attack. But owl attacks can be pretty vicious. They do leave gashes, you know. Um, you know, An owl can get kind of, you know, if they attack your head, they can get hung up in your hair. And they leave deep cuts. Wouldn't he have heard screams, though, if his wife was being mauled by an angry owl? You know, I, I didn't touch on this, but they actually tested that in the stairway documentary, mm-hmm. or the, excuse me, the staircase documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually played a recording of a woman yelling from the bottom of the staircase, mm-hmm. and they went out and sat by the pool, and they could not hear it. Well, that's interesting. I'd like to know how loud it was. If it it was, it was, it was pretty loud on, you know, I mean, on the camera, it seemed like. And but I, that doesn't. That's not proof, obviously. That's not objective proof of how loud it was. But also, we're working with the fact that, you know, Michael was probably drunk and could have been passed out for all we know. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the theory is that, you know, she's walking in and an owl attacks her, gets maybe hung up in her hair. It causes all these gashes, right? She fights the owl off. It would also explain how she gets a few smaller abrasions on the front of her face. Mm-hmm. Maybe even some bruising if she's swinging her arms around, maybe hits the door frame or something, right? That would explain the the blood on the walkway leading up to the door, the blood on the front door. And then, you know, if she's coming in the house and she's got these cuts all over, she's bleeding down on her face, maybe. 
she's kind of drunk. She's on Valium and she starts climbing up the stairs. Also flustered from this owl attack. She can't see clearly because of the blood. Maybe blood drips down. She slips on it, falls back and hits her head. I mean, it's a that's, lot of speculation. That's a theory. But- and you know, I'm not saying it happened. I'm saying there's a chance it happened. But I'm going to say, you I know. Mean, a chance it happened in that you cannot rule out, like, every possibility in every parallel universe. Okay, yeah, but, like, okay. And, and, again, I'm not saying this happened. But there were owl feathers in her hair. Where does that come from? I mean, I, I suppose you get the same result by an invisible man following her around and cutting little gashes in her skin. <laughs> I mean. There's no okay. evidence of that either. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. Like, for one, I'm not saying I think this happened. I think it's super interesting. I think it's a possibility because, I mean, it 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 checks all the boxes, you know, and shows what may have happened. Um, But I, I can't say that it definitely happened. I, can, I like this theory. Is this just an interesting theory? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's I mean of, of all of those, like, out there theories of any of these cases we've looked at. This is probably my favorite one, just as far as interesting goes, right? It's it's possible, but I, I have been thinking too, though. Like, could that have happened if maybe he beat her over the head with a branch, and the owl was in the you know, tree branch? Very possible. I didn't consider that, but yeah, mm-hmm. seems. I mean, Occam's razor would probably suggest the the branch thing. Yeah, they would, right? And um, you know, a branch that seems like maybe something pretty easy to dispose of, too, right? You know. Like, and again, I'm not saying Michael Peterson's guilty or innocent, but I'm saying if he did kill her, if he did beat her over the head with a branch, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you live out there, a lot of trees. I mean, you know, you walk away, let her bleed to death, and you throw it out in the woods somewhere. They don't find it the next day. You burn some leaves, and it's gone. I guess that's possible. Seems like. If they were if using a branch, there had to would have had to have been bark mixed in with the blood and stuff, right? Well, there there was like I said, there was some um, some splinters, like a little wood chip. So I don't know about bark, but there were pine needles. Um, you know, there's the microscopic owl feather. Man, I don't know. Hell, maybe she, maybe there was just maybe an owl had landed on the damn chair she was sitting on out in the out by the pool. Maybe you so. Know? I, I'm not saying the woman didn't just fall on her own. She may have. He may have beat her to death. I don't know. But I don't. It's just weird to me that he could have, like, beat her to the point of having all these gashes over her head. And she doesn't have, like, brain trauma from it. Yeah, that, that is strange. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? See, I, I keep forgetting that the cause of death had nothing to do with it brain was blood loss. loss. Head trauma. That's so weird. It is so weird. You know, and. If Henry Lee can be believed, you know, there's no cast-off pattern. It makes sense, you know, because the, it's not like all in one direction like a cast-off pattern would be. Uh, and from his demonstrations, it doesn't look like a cast-off pattern. He did a lot of demonstrations that you can watch in the Staircase documentary if you want to. Um, but it's 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 interesting, you know, like it, it doesn't look like she was beat to death right there with something. Or at least in a long instrument that would have, you know, left that kind of pattern. If these experts can be believed, I mean, without head trauma, I don't understand how they argue that she was bludgeoned to death, anyways. I don't, I don't know either. I don't know either. And just you know, the fact that the prosecution they did some shady stuff in this, yeah, and that makes me doubt his. You know, maybe that shouldn't make me doubt his guilt necessarily, 
Because there is still blood spatter on the inside of his shorts. You know, he took his shoes off next to the body. I mean, what the prosecution does technically has nothing to do with whether Michael killed his wife. It but doesn't, it, But no. it does affect whether he should be in prison. It does, yeah. And, and he's out of prison now. And like I said, I can't make my mind up if I think this man's innocent or guilty. I can't. I don't know. What yeah, do you think? I, I, no, I don't know. Uh, I mean, from what you've told me of the prosecution's case, I don't think they got anywhere near beyond reasonable doubt. No, no, so no, 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 no. I would say Michael should definitely be free. But let's but, talk about, you know, like just our opinion here, right? Whether he did it, I don't know. Honest to God, I, I don't know. I don't either. Like, it, I, mean, I think it's plausible that she just failed. There are a lot of true crime people that really lean toward guilty on this one. I feel like I lean more toward innocent as far as Michael goes. Um, just because I don't see any good proof that he did it. I mean, yeah. There are a couple things. There's that, that footprint on the back of her leg, and there's that blood spatter on the inside of his, um, that, his shorts. I would like explanations for both of those I would, things. too, but, I mean, like, it's not. It's far from, you know, just like Conclusive. a— Conclusive. Yeah, of course, no. I mean, it's, this is not, like, you know, some kind of smoking gun by any no, means. No, not at all. No. Um, but, like, you know, that, that aside, like, I said, I don't know what happened. I don't know. But there is something else I think is worth mentioning. Okay. And um, weirder than the owl theory? It is so weird. It's one of the weirdest things we've ever talked about. Okay. And okay. I honestly really thought about not including this, but it is too interesting to skip out on. Okay. Let's hear it. Now, I'm, I'm, I need to point this out, though. I cannot find a single article about this anywhere. Okay. But this is a YouTube video that I'm going to talk about. It's a video of Todd Peterson. Okay. It's Todd. It's Todd. Unless Todd Peterson has a doppelganger that has worked really hard to appear like Todd Peterson and just troll everybody, this is Todd Peterson. Okay? I, I didn't realize you were talking about the video. I don't know what the that, video. It's just insane. It's insane. It is so crazy. This, I found this just a couple days ago. Honestly, I'm wondering how you're even going to explain this to them. Okay. I'm going to go on a limb and say none of you who are watching this video have ever seen this video. We should put up a link to it, though. Okay, yeah. So they can watch it. And this this is a video that Todd Peterson recorded on his phone. I don't even know where he posted it because this is on a YouTube channel that is not Todd Peterson's that they said they reposted this. I don't know. Okay, his camera is vertical in it. So he's used his phone. So he's probably recording for like TikTok or something like that. No, it it's, seems it's a way too long, long for TikTok. TikTok. Shit. TikTok limits you at three minutes. Is so, there a... He, now, he did say somebody put this on TikTok, but, I mean, he may have been out of it. Is there a social media platform that has longer TikTok-style videos? I think, well, I think you could have posted it on Instagram, but it's not on his Instagram. Like it I, shows I, what we know about social media. Yeah, I, we're, we're, we're behind on that. I, I know about TikTok, yeah. but uh, it's, it's definitely on TikTok. I don't use Instagram much. I, you could probably post this on Twitter, a video that long. I've seen long videos on Twitter. I don't know how long they can go. So we know it's definitely him. It's, it's not sure him. Where he posted. It is him. I did a lot of extensive, like looking back where I can find of Todd's life to try to make sure it's him. It's him. It like, like some of the, you know, it just stuff lines up like some companies on his Instagram. He says he's worked for like, like he really did work for those companies. So it, this is the band. Okay. We've rambled long enough trying to say, I know this is Todd Peterson. Okay. So he, he starts this video and he says he's uh, going to do one of the hardest things he's ever had to do. He's about to call and have his dad arrested for the uh, murder of his mother. Now, he's not talking about Kathleen. He's talking about uh, his biological mother, Patty. 
who she died back in July. Okay. And what happened is um, she, I believe it was a heart attack. Um, That's what, that's what Todd says, but I just know she, her, her health had turned badly. Right. She and Michael Peterson were actually sharing an apartment in Durham at the time. And Michael was there with her. Um, She, you know, has some kind of turn for the worse. He calls Todd. Todd comes over. Todd calls 911. Um, Ambulance comes, takes her to the hospital. She dies at the hospital. Okay. Okay. Now, Todd says he murdered her by waiting so long to call 911, which is, eh, that seems like a stretch. But he says, you know, and he, he, Todd says he did it for, for money. That was the reason. He said that was always the reason. He thinks that he killed Kathleen for the money. And Todd right. does. And he says, you know, probably even Elizabeth Ratliff for the money. Okay, we should probably also point out while we're at it that he does discuss his history of alcohol abuse. He does. And Todd and, is rambling in this. And he seems utterly unhinged in this yeah. video. So, I mean, I can't say you can put a lot of stock in exactly what he's saying. Okay. You can put no stock. In the you can put no said. stock into it whatsoever. Um, but it's, I mean, it's worth mentioning because this is a crazy video. Todd, he rambles for 11 minutes and 30 seconds. He talks about um, how he was uh, the top earning American in the sixth most dangerous city in the world. He mentions that a few times. Yeah, he's really hung up on that sixth most uh, yeah, dangerous he, city. He, he talks about his alcoholism. He says that his dad tried to break his sobriety, break Todd's sobriety. Um and I want to be honest with you. It appears that Todd fell off the wagon. Um, Hard. Yeah. If you watch this, not just this video, because from this video, I decided to look up his Instagram and there are some strange videos on his Instagram. And they, um, they start like his Instagram, you know, had been active a few years ago. It went silent and didn't start back until I think this past November. Okay. And there's some just really strange stuff. So his mom died in July. It's possible he fell off the wagon in November and this stuff just snowballed. Um, I, I don't want to talk about like just the weird stuff that's on there other than he's doing some like. I, I just want to be clear that the th- the accusations he makes, like you have to take them with a massive grain of salt. because Like a, a, he, a big block like, of salt. Like just a truckload of it. Yeah. Because yeah. He, he seems really unhinged in the videos to the point where I'm not even going to post it or show it because – like this probably is one of the worst moments of this guy's life. Yeah, no, probably. no, no, definitely. But I mean, he did. He made the accusation, right? And he says that um, he actually said that when his dad was in prison, he helped him take out hits on some people. I didn't um, catch that part. It, it was he was he was really rambling in it. So I mean, obviously, I think Todd's dealing with you know some addiction issues, maybe some mental illness, and I'm not trying to make fun of Todd. You know, or anything like that. The man is obviously having some trouble. His mom just died. He's been through a lot of traumatic stuff in his life. But he did make... A, he made the accusation, right? So it was worth discussing. So it's worth mentioning it, right? Um, and, uh, whew. but you guys can go check it out if you want to. We can, we can put up a link for it, right? Like, yeah, I'll put We're not putting of it in the video, but we can put up a link to it. Yeah, sure. They want to see it. And, 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 I, my recommendation is don't. Don't do it at all, but if you want to. Yeah, we'll see about that. Now... Um, that's pretty much all I've got on this case. Uh, we talked about, you know, what we think happened. And I feel like this particular case is just sort of defined by how polarizing it is, right? Like, I, like people have really strong opinions on this one. I mean, I'm sure they do, but I mean, to me, this, this seems to be a case defined by how corrupt the prosecution behaved. 
Yeah, well, and you know, I think that may be expected when when the prosecutor is you know a bitter enemy of of the of the defendant at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, I feel like the judge really dropped the ball on this, allowing some of that stuff in, though. I mean, oh, no, there's no question. I, I, I hate to say, I don't. I'm not saying that the judge was, you know, like on the prosecutor's side here. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that. I think he just, you know, I mean, it's not uncommon. Made some bad decisions on this. Judges one. tend to be more pro, lean to more pro prosecutor because they they usually come from being prosecutors themselves. Yeah, actually, um, uh, Jim Harden, the prosecutor, he's a judge now. Huh? Yeah, makes sense. And you know, you know what? That's kind of disturbing to me because, like, obviously, whether Jim Harden was homophobic or not, he was really playing on the. Oh, the he knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, he wanted little church ladies. Really offended about the whole gay escort mm-hmm. thing, and wanted that to be transferred to Michael Peterson. Well, I don't like the idea of someone that that used that played that card being a judge now. Oh God, no! You know, I, I don't like it. And I'm not going to come out here and say you know Michael Peterson's innocent. I think there's a lot of evidence both ways on this one. Yeah, I just can't make my mind up on it. Now, I don't think it's particularly difficult as far as uh, like the trial goes. I don't think there was. I don't think they got anywhere near beyond no, reasonable doubt. No, and that is something that David Rudolph said so many times. He said that their strategy shouldn't necessarily be to go out there and say Michael's innocent. Don't go out and try to prove his innocence. Just go out there and prove that, you know, what the prosecution's saying is, you know, they're full of crap. Yeah. The thing is, they were, and I feel like the defense proved that, but he was still found guilty. A lot of times, jurors want more than, they don't, first of all, they don't understand burden of proof. Mm-hmm. And often they expect the defendant to have answers to everything, even though legally they're not required to have these answers. Right. If the prosecution can't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, then the, the default is that it didn't happen right. legally. You know, and I've... Um, and I think jurors often misunderstand that. I, now, now, for me, like I've said, I, I don't know. I can't make up my mind about what I think happened on this one. But if I'd been on that jury, okay... The minute they brought in the Elizabeth Ratliff stuff from Germany, mm-hmm. I would have made my mind up right there. I'm I'm going to be not guilty. Like I will stick with that until you know, unless there's some smoking evidence, smoking gun evidence. Right then, I would have made my mind up. I'm going to stick with not guilty. I'll make a hung jury if I have to. So I think that's your response. I think for most average people in the jury, they saw another lady dying with another staircase. Uh, being, I, you know, it, it, I get circumstances that. involving a staircase, and that's all they thought. I of. get that, but I see and that's like, exactly what the prosecutor was going for because he knew that's the conclusion they would reach. I see just an underhanded prosecutor at that point, though, and yeah, at course. that point, I would realize this is not a fair trial. Mm-hmm. They're not giving this guy a fair trial. We, you know, this someone has to stop this, right? But obviously, that didn't happen in this case. Oh well, no! <clears throat> I mean, at least he's out now. Get to spend his last remaining years. Yeah, not but in prison, I mean, like not. his family, like you know. His kids stuck with him, like like his uh, his two sons stuck with him. I mean, until maybe Todd with this more recent thing. And I don't even know. that could have just been one bad. It night. may have been just one bad. I mean, you know what? You know, when people fall off the wagon, they do some strange things. You know, yeah. and I mean, let's not like blame Todd's actions. I mean, you know, like it's it's his addiction. You know, like that could be causing him to do this. Let's not blame it on him as the person, right? Right, of course. Um. But, you know, maybe Todd's estranged now. Um, now, his two adopted daughters, they stuck by him. But uh, Kathleen's daughter, like, you know, she stuck by him for a while, but she was convinced by some of the evidence she saw in trial, and she, you know, turned away. Kathleen's two sisters, they hate, hate Michael. They've hated him from the beginning, though. They thought he killed her, you know, from the start. 
Um, That's often the case with family. I mean, it is. Can't really blame them. No, I mean, you know, if if you know, if someone close to me, like, look, if they were murdered, I would, I'd be looking for someone to blame too. Yeah, of course. You know, I would. I'd like to think that I could be objective, but I don't. I don't think you and can. Honestly, uh, often your opinion about someone before the incident mm-hmm. has a lot to do with whether you think they're guilty. Yeah, and, and you know, I get the idea. They probably, they kind of saw Michael as a bit of a freeloader already because Kathleen was making all the money. Michael, yeah. you know, he wrote these novels, but nothing else is happening right now. Yeah. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's a uh, an interesting case. This was actually this is one of my you know like dating back. This is one of my favorite cases and. I would say, like, as far as, like, the you don't know what happened is sort of a mysterious um, thing. This is probably my favorite documentary, true crime documentary, guys. There are some true crime it documentaries. It was really good. I like more than this, but those, you, I, you know what happened. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, um, like Evil Genius. Or Paradise Lost. I thought Paradise, Paradise Lost. Lost was great. There were yeah. so many of them, though. Yeah. Oh, man. So, do you have one of those... Fancy intro, uh, outros you like to do? Or? Yeah, I've got it. Okay. All right, well, you want, let's go let's for it. Let's do it. All right. <clears throat> In some cases, we will never have concrete answers. This one will likely remain a mystery. Regardless of Michael Peterson's guilt, this death has torn a family apart. Even if hard evidence of Michael's guilt or innocence came to light, these wounds would never heal. I can't decide how I feel about this case. Certainly, there doesn't seem to have been enough evidence to convict Peterson. But that does not mean that he is innocent. We'd like to thank you for listening to Fact and Suspicion. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to like and subscribe. If you have any feedback for us, or if you have a case you'd like to suggest for us to cover, we'd like for you to contact us through email at factandsuspicion at gmail.com or on Twitter at and suspicion.